0: I'm Robin Amler of IBS Intelligence. You're listening to the IBS Views podcast. With me is Jeremy Thompson-Cook, Chief Economist at Equals Money, a specialist in political risk mitigation and currency hedging. The elephant in the room, Jeremy, is the pandemic. What impact has the pandemic been having on the markets?
1: You couldn't escape the pandemic last year and you you still can't escape it to a certain extent now. And the reactions of both currencies, but also equities, commodities, bonds, wherever you are, the moves that we saw last year as a result of people's absolute shock, fear, uncertainty around how life would go on and how things were going to have to change to make sure that the economy as we as we saw it, as we had got used to, was deemed to be viable moving forward. We obviously are in a lot calmer place than we were a year ago today. A year ago today, we were worried about GDP falls of 20%. We were talking about weekly uh, rises in unemployment in the United States in the millions. Currencies were not being traded on their fair value. People were running into the US dollar, the Japanese yen, the Swiss franc as as havens uh, from simple uncertainty about what was going to happen next, where the infection figures were going to spike next. And obviously, this is way before anyone really believed that we would have a vaccine by the end of 2020 as a calendar year, so the impact has been a, a huge tightening of both supply because factories shut down, supply chains around the world. You know whether you are manufacturing a widget in China, which forms part of a BMW engine, for example, or whether um, you are exporting cheese from an artisanal supplier in, in Devon around the world because it's the best cheddar, for example, that you can you can lay your hands on. Those supply chains simply fell apart because people weren't transacting internationally. Now, that was a demand thing as well because people pulled in their horns. They didn't want to spend money because they were uncertain about their the economics of their employment, uncertain about the economics of their employers as well, about whether the, the industry they would be in would continue to work uh, as it previously was. It's starting. We're starting to thaw However, and it's encouraging to see. I mean, I'm I'm talking to you from my office in the City of London. I've been into the office a couple of times this year uh, and, and I'm encouraged by seeing more and more people on the streets. But we've got a long, long way to go before anyone could deem this a sense of normality. Let's put it that way.
0: Let's turn then to the policy impact, fiscal monetary policy. Has there been such a thing as fiscal policy and monetary policy other than just turn the tap on and open it up as far as you can go?
1: That's certainly been the way that a lot of governments have done it. And obviously we've seen some governments, actually, to be honest, the UK government, the response by both the Bank of England and I would get in trouble if I said they were coordinating things, but they are acting in a complementary manner is the best way of putting it to make sure that I'm, I won't get in trouble with friends at the Bank of England. they were working in a complementary manner to make sure that the taps stay on and the access to credit and the access to liquidity that we saw such a become such an issue back in 2008 was not an issue for small and medium so, and large businesses over the early days of the pandemic when I said that uncertainty was kind of reigning, reigning supreme the way that i've looked at it since the beginning of the pandemic is if i were to equate the economy to a house that was on fire is you put out the fire you don't say to the fire engine uh, or the fire brigade you're only allowed to use 30 gallons of water to put out this fire and we'll see where we are then you put out the fire and then you count the cost of how much water damage you may have in this instance and speaking to epidemiologists throughout the course of the past year and historians around this, the issue is with the fire. It is not with the water damage to this house because the water damage in mean, economics terms is unemployment, which we've dealt with before, and inflation, which we've dealt with before. And so we we have the tools at our at You know, which are ready to be used to be able to stimulate employment by offering subsidies to, uh, you know, apprentice subsidies to businesses to be able to uh, tax breaks to businesses. They are able to bring in new employers, not having to pay national insurance contributions, that kind of thing. But also from a monetary policy point of view, making sure that money is cheap for a long, long time uh, and therefore Making sure that businesses are not having to worry about debt repayment or onerous debt repayment, if we can put it that way, for a couple of years, certainly on the COVID borrowing schemes that were put in place by the government and the and the Bank of England. So it has been loose. It will continue to be loose. For a, for a fair old while, because the last thing you want to do when we have a nascent recovery, a green shoot, you know, that was the popular phrase in 2009, certainly, a green shoot coming in is stamp on it by saying, well, interest rates are going to have to rise soon to be able to make sure that we don't have inflation. Uh, inflation is a good thing in the short term, because you can't have inflation without demand. And that was the issue out of 2010 was we didn't have enough demand. If we can stimulate enough demand, then inflation's a nice problem to worry about, in
0: inverted Okay, let's move on. Specifically to the kind of business area that Equals Money is in, have you seen any changes in how the cross-border money management business is changing?
1: Yeah, we certainly have. I mean, if you were not seeing a change as a result of such an existential threat, as the pandemic has really shown that the supply chain's could be put could be put under, then the world would be a, a very very different place, and a lot of the issues that we would have had over the course of the past twelve months or so wouldn't have materialized. You wouldn't have found businesses casting around looking for suppliers to maybe closer to home, which is one thing that we have seen. We've seen a lot of onshoring of demand, so people trying to if they're part of a, an integrated supply chain, for example, where a good is passed back and forth between various manufacturers before the finished unit or product is uh, is made available. To the end consumer, that those supply chains have shrunk. So instead of it being passed through seven manufacturers, for example, that may be coming down to three. Now, that has meant that some manufacturers are no longer part of that supply chain and therefore have lost business. Some people will have gained business by being able to invest and retool their operations to be able to say, well, instead of you passing it on to manufacturer B, Why don't we do more of it ourselves and keep that secure? So that's one thing that we have seen over the course of the pandemic. The second thing is cost management. We know that businesses are obviously always want to be on top of their costs, always want to make sure that they are paying fair value for the imports and the exports that they are making. But the pandemic and the fact that they had to pull in their horns, really constrict their balance sheet, made sure that businesses were speaking to us a lot a lot more about re-engineering their supply chains to make sure that they were speaking to cheaper manufacturers. Now that may be cheaper manufacturers based elsewhere in the world. A lot of people thought we would see people pull it pull away from China, for example, as a result of the pandemic. That hasn't happened. We're sending more money out to China on behalf of British businesses. So we are seeing there will be countries that are winning out of the pandemic because their manufacturing sectors are a lot more low cost. Now that's that's always a balance because if you're making someone making something in Tamworth, for example, you can get it to London. In a couple of hours. If you're making something just outside of Shenzhen, given you know issues that we see in the in the Suez Canal, for example, it can take you know it's going it's going to take a lot lot longer. So businesses are having to balance their supply chains a lot lot more uh, than they were 15 months ago. Those are the main kind of changes that we that we have seen. It's put a lot more businesses on kind of ready warning, as it were, for changes in their supply chains and how they transact internationally, without the real foresight that they needed
0: to let's say two years ago. What's going to make it even more interesting in terms of transacting internationally, of course, is the fact that the currency landscape is getting more complicated. Not only do we have, obviously, dollars and pounds and euros and renminbi, etc., 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 but there is the coming of digital money. This is going to make life more complicated for people in terms of what do I pay with? What's the best thing to use this time? What exposure do I have to all these digital currencies?
1: I think the and this is where the the crypto landscape has failed in the short term, or certainly since kind of 2012 when Bitcoin really started to become a thing, and other cryptocurrencies have obviously jumped on the valuation bandwagon, is that as soon as these currencies became not so much a method of payment or a, a holder of value and you know we're recording on a morning where some of these cryptocurrencies are down by 10 or 15% they ceased being payment instruments and started to become commodities for trading and speculative goods and so while there's always an accurate or always stories about people using bitcoins to make purchases. There's a famous internet story about a man who used 10,000 bitcoins to buy two pizzas, which is now the the equivalent of paying something like $84 million for two pizzas. If you have that kind of volatility in the valuation of a currency, no one's going to use it as a currency. They're going to use it as a, they're going to use it as an asset to hold on to and make money from. So if we're talking about digital currencies for international trade and businesses, Um, who have to use currency, not just as a method of payment, but also as as an accounting measure for how things sit on their balance sheet, Um, then you have to be into the realm of stable coins, uh, which track a currency one-to-one and don't move. The coin, the token, uh, is purely used as a, a payment gateway. Or secondly, the central bank, digital coin, which are still many, many years from being developed. So as far as someone who's been working in currency for a little bit too long, let's put it that way. As far as someone who's been working in currency for a long, long time, I would always, I would always say that businesses who are trying to offload currency risk, who don't want to, who don't want to sit there and say the value of the dollars moved four percent over the course of the past month, which has made my imports four percent more expensive, they don't want to have to worry about hedging. Another thing they don't understand. The reason why businesses like ours exist, and the reason why I spend so much time talking to smaller, medium-sized businesses is. Their first agenda item is to grow, is to grow their business, is to open up new markets, speak to new customers and as said and as said, grow. And if they're worried about the Federal Reserve or previously a tweet by Donald Trump and what that means for their international business, because the valuation changes in, the, in a currency, then they're not worried about growing and they can speak to a company like us. They can speak to the teams that we that we have here at Equals and we are able to manage that for them. Now, if CBDCs eventually in five years' time are part of the payment landscape, we'll be able to manage those as well. But in the grand scheme of things, I don't think we're going to see a broad shift away from a company saying, "I need to pay a supplier in Chongqing, and they only take USDs or local rim and me. How can you help me?" And we say, "This is, you know, this is the rate for a forward contract to protect your dollars for the next six months. Do you want to go? Do you want to go ahead with that? We can give you some certainty over the prices that you're going to pay for importing your good, and going from there." But there's a huge change in the whole landscape coming, but it's not coming for a while. And businesses certainly coming out of the pandemic. And obviously, you know, we haven't used the B word. We haven't used Brexit either. They just want some certainty about how they're paying, who they're paying and how much it's costing. And
0: how much it's likely to cost next month. Exactly. Exactly. And that's the most important thing. Jeremy Thompson Cook, Chief Economist of Equals Money. Thank you very much.